Hey, everybody. Welcome to a special holiday edition of the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Hope everybody out there is having a fantastic holiday season. Uh, we thought we would use this episode of the Pipeline podcast to look back at 2023 and look forward to 2024 through the lens of our predictions. Uh, last year, Jim and Jonathan, uh, at this time, made some predictions for 2023, uh, predicted the rookies of the year, the pipeline hitter of the year, the pipeline pitcher of the year, the number one overall draft pick in 2023, the number one overall prospect at the end of 2023, the number one farm system at the end of 2023, the biggest riser among uh, the then top 100 prospects, and they uh, guessed who would be this year's Jackson Churio, a, a breakout a prospect who came out of nowhere, wasn't on the top 100 list at the time, and uh, ascended to the top of the list, uh, which I guess for this year we've decided was maybe Junior Caminero. Guys, uh, you did pretty well, I have to say. I, w- I went through, I've, uh, we've, we've got our spreadsheet here, oh, not a spreadsheet, our, we've got our Google Doc here. I've highlighted where you guys got the answers correct uh, in instances where you didn't get them exactly right or maybe there's question. Uh, I've, I've declared a winner between the two of you. So well, let's start going through this. Uh, but first of all, kudos, good job. You guys actually know what you're doing here. <laughs> we fooled them we'll all. We'll see we'll if it lasts. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I wanted to say the year before, I think, Jonathan, you were on vacation and Sam and I did predictions and we looked back at those predictions. They were terrible. So maybe, maybe you're the key. Maybe, maybe you're the key that centers us. Yeah, that's why Sam's uh, not here making these predictions. That's right. I kid. One and done. All right. So uh, let's get going and start at the top with rookies of the year. Uh, now, this is one where you guys, you, you went four for four. Uh, you picked the AL Rookie of the Year, NL Rookie of the Year. You both got them right. You both obviously picked the same players. And you got to say, I mean, I don't know if you can say they were a slam dunk, but they were the favorites going into the season. They were the number one and two ranked prospects in baseball. You knew that they were going to open the season in the big leagues. They'd already played well in the big leagues. <laughs> yeah. They were right. like, like, I agree. I mean, picking Gunnar Henderson and Corbin Carroll, that is probably – the easiest, most chalk picks that we'll ever have. So, yes, we got them right. I think the degree of difficulty on that was about a 20 um, out of it on the 20 80 scale. Yeah. It, we'll was, take win. it's two it was a degree of difficulty of 20 of like who to pick, I, you know, and then obviously it was up to, to them. I just think it's rare that the you look back over the years when there's never, I don't think, been this amount of slam dunk in both leagues with the you know, one, two prospects who already had success in the big leagues, all of those things. But I feel like more often than not, the guys you think are going to win rookie of the year do not. So I think that was the only surprise that they both did what we predicted them to do. Yeah. And I think we did say, right, that it had, it had never happened before that the number one and two ranked prospects, uh, both won rookie of the year in the same year. I think um, Chris Bryant, who was number three and, was it, we had a one and three before, or maybe I'm thinking of be from the same draft class. It, it was unprecedented, uh, basically. So you said degree of difficulty there, 20. What's the degree of difficulty looking ahead to this year, though, 
this seems like uh, far less clear of, of a decision, and uh, you guys have four different names here. Yeah, I'll say 60-degree difficulty. Oh, you know, I'm going to say 70. That way, if we get one right out of the four, that makes us look really good. All right, so uh, let's start in the National League. Who do you guys like there? Jonathan? Well, I'm going to go with Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, Not necessarily picking the, I don't know that there's a favorite, but, you know, he's the kind of guy, he did get up very briefly uh in 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 the big leagues nothing to to show for it as of yet but i think that that gave him the taste uh of what the big leagues will be like he's coming off a 2030 season in the minors uh we know about his defense the the defense and speed will keep him in the lineup every single day and he's going to contribute and i think he's going to hit enough uh where the the counting numbers that a lot of people pay attention to will, will, will matter. So I think his combination of talent and opportunity uh, made him a, a solid, albeit far from slam dunk pick for me. Yeah, I do think the National League is pretty wide open. I don't think there's a an obvious candidate where you're like, okay, that guy, like I, I think almost anybody we could pick, you could question whether he's going to make the opening roster. Most of the guys have played not a ton even in double A, you know, Pete Armstrong's an exception, but I, I'm going to take, I'm going to go with Paul Skeens, number one pick in last year's draft. I just think he's on the same path that, that Steven Strasburg was on. I think he's going to come out. I think he's going to destroy the minor leagues for six or eight weeks and be up before the end of May and be one of the better pitchers in baseball right off the bat. I, I think the stuff's that good. I think he's got the command to go with the stuff. We all know, he, you know, I mean, he averaged 98 miles an hour last year throughout the season at LSU. He's big and physical. He can hit triple digits. The slider may be more devastating than the fastball. In one of his College World Series starts, his best pitch was his changeup. It was like a well above average pitch in that start. Um, I think I think he's a complete package. And I think with guys like that, he really, I mean, I think they'll get him acclimated a little bit more to pro ball because he's pitched a grand total of six and two-thirds innings. But I don't really think there's much for him to prove. He's got stuff. He knows how to use it. Let's not waste any of those innings in the minors, at least not more than we have to. So I think he's going to be up pretty quick. I don't think he'll make the, excuse me, opening day roster, but I think he's going to be up pretty quick. And he's my pick. But I, I do think the National League is wide open. All right. Well, that would that would be a uh, an exception to the rule. Uh, over the past nine years in the National League, there's been one starting pitcher uh, that's uh, been rookie of the year in the American League one in the past 12 years. All right. Are you surprised, Jason, that we didn't pick Jackson Churia? Uh, yeah, I, well, you know, now that you mention it, yes. A guy who seems like he now has the, the path paved and they have every reason, uh, several million reasons to uh, play him right off the bat. Yeah, a little surprise, a little surprise. Um, let's move on to the American League. And uh, who do you guys have there, Jonathan? I guess I, I I'm, kind of reversing thinking about what I've said previously when, when we've talked about Jackson holiday, pretty sure you probably find the audio where I felt he wasn't going to play enough to vie for American league rookie of the year. And I have decided that I'm reversing course there after careful consideration uh, you know, it remains to be seen how that's going to work because they have so many good players at the upper levels uh, at, 
pretty much every position, but particularly on the dirt. So personnel will have to change. But I just think he's so good that he is going to play his way, even if it's not on opening day, into the lineup quickly. And I, I don't think there's a... I think there's a non-zero chance that he ends up making the big league team. You know, if they think that he can help them win, then I could see it. Now, that's a little bit of a stretch. So I think maybe it's more likely that he comes up, you know, kind of like Skeens, you know, comes up in May or, you know, give him a month and he's just doing so well that they have to make room for him. And then I think he will put up good enough numbers to to give the Orioles back-to-back rookies of the year. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think there's a lot more candidates in the American League. I mean, they, they just seem like they have an opportunity to have a big year. You know, Jackson Holiday, Junior Camaro, Evan Carter. I think Wyatt Langford could make some noise. You got Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad, two more Orioles. When's Colson Montgomery going to be up? Brooks Lee. I mean, there's, there's a lot of candidates. I, I'm just going to go with Evan Carter. My one, I guess, concern is that he hasn't done a whole lot of – you know, production-wise against lefties in pro ball, but he hasn't really faced a lot of lefties either. And obviously the Rangers are in it to win it. They're they're trying to defend a World Series championship. So, like, if for some reason Evan Carter struggled, like, they're not, it's not going to just be, hey, go out, here's 500 at-bats, improve yourself. But that said, <laughs> after watching him in September and October, I'm not worried about him being able to, to prove himself and, and handle a big moment because he did that. I mean, I don't think they make the playoffs without him. I think he provided a, a huge spark for them in September. And then he played great in, in the postseason, you know, not just hitting, but defensively. And you guys know I'm like president of the Evan Carter fan club. So I, I, I will stick with Evan Carter, who's probably my my favorite. I'm not saying he's the best, but my favorite prospect in baseball right now. So I will I will, I will ride and die with Evan Carter. President of the club, though, not wearing your full count Carter T-shirt as we speak. I do have one. I could go put it on. So. All right. Uh, that's rookies of the year. Let's move on to the pipeline hitter of the year. Uh, here again, a correct answer. Jim predicted Jackson Holiday last year, who went on to uh, become our pipeline hitter of the year. This year, Jonathan picked Marcelo Meyer, who was uh, derailed by injuries. And these were kind of interesting picks because, as we'll get to later on down the show here, uh, you guys picked these guys for another category later, but in you flip-flopped them. You you each pick the other guy. So those were the uh, picks for last year. Let's talk about this year. And uh, well, it looks like uh, we can just talk about one player here because you guys, you guys are in agreement. How about that? Rarely happens. Good, Jim. Well, the the, the tough part is on this one, I I think we both kind of ran into this. If you look at the top of the top 100 prospects list we have right now, the vast majority of the players are probably going to spend significant time in the big leagues. So you you don't have a great pool of candidates, at least at the top of the list, you think are going to spend the majority of the year in the minor leagues. But we both went with, with Walker Jenkins. And, you know, I feel like, I mean, this seems silly to say because he's ranked 16th on the current top 100 prospects list. I feel like in general, fans maybe underappreciate him a little bit because he was only the fifth pick in the draft last year, but was, you know, would clearly be, the number one pick in a lot of drafts. And I just, I mean, Jonathan, you wrote him, I wrote him up for the draft. You wrote him up for the twins because they're one of your teams, but I mean, there's not much this guy can't do. I mean, he hits for average, he hits for power, solid runner, good arm. 
you know, you can we can quibble. Is he a center fielder? Is he a right fielder in the long run? Okay, we'll see. The makeup off the charts. We had him on the podcast a couple months ago. I think we all enjoyed talking to him, and he lived up to his reputation as just you know being that makeup off the charts. And again, I I think it's so cool that the twins wound up with Walker Jenkins because I think literally the last time I communicated with the late great Mike Radcliffe. Mike loved Walker Jenkins as a prospect. We, we've told the story about how he put an eight on him on the two to eight scale to kind of make like knew he wasn't going to probably be around for the draft. I wanted the twins to know how convicted he was on him. And I remember Mike comparing him to Larry Walker. And, and I think he could be that type of guy. So, yeah, I'd, I, I won't say that was an easy pick, Jonathan, but like in some ways it was because I think almost everybody we have ahead of Walker Jenkins. That's it. It is going to be a big leaguer by the end of the year. Right. That's the thing. I think there are other guys who could be candidates, but we just don't, we can't be sure they're not going to have graduated. So then they wouldn't be eligible for hitter of the year. And it really, for, for pipeline hitter of the year, it doesn't matter where Walker Jenkins plays. Uh, So they they can figure that let him play center field. Yeah. So we needed to pick guys who are younger who we knew were going to spend the year in the minor leagues that we thought were you know, would put up really good numbers. And like I said, I'm still a, a big believer in Max Clark, uh, but I and I don't think he's going to struggle out of the gate. I just think that Walker Jenkins has a chance to put up some pretty big numbers right away uh, once, once we get to a, a certain point in time. So uh, I think uh, he was another one, and Ethan Salas is another one I kind of thought about. Uh, but because as a catcher he's so young we'll see but those were those were the guys that i sort of thinking of and i just i have confidence in jenkins ability to to put up some big numbers okay moving along to uh the pipeline pitcher of the year uh last year jonathan picked uh, philly's right-hander mick abel jim picked uh, toronto's ricky tiedemann uh both of whom uh had relatively successful seasons, uh, neither really in the running for Pipeline Pitcher of the Year. Wait, wait, I thought we were picking Arizona Fall League Pitcher of the Year when I made that pick. Aha. <laughs> uh, I'm going to highlight this pick as as correct then. No. <laughs> I joke, of course, but, but I, I felt better about my pick after watching him in the AFL. Yeah, I mean, he was, and he was good in the regular season, just didn't pitch much. But when he, when he did pitch, man, he was pretty dominant. Uh, all right, so looking ahead to 2024, Jonathan going to go with a guy that we haven't even seen yet professionally. Yeah, this 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 isn't based on any uh, track record as a professional, but Rhett Lauder uh, was the number seven overall pick in the draft. The Reds took him out of uh, Wake Forest. We've talked a lot about Wake Forest uh, and the talent that's been churning out of there lately. I think... His combination of stuff and command are really, really interesting to me. And I think he's going to have success right out of the gate. I don't know where they start him. I mean, I could see him going straight to double A. Maybe there's an outside chance he ends up in the big leagues. I just don't think he'll spend enough time in the big leagues to not qualify. I could be wrong just because of his advanced field for pitching. But in some ways, because his command and that feel and all that got, were so highly talked about. I think sometimes his stuff got a little bit of the short end of the stick. He's got good stuff. 
like really, really good stuff. We're, you know, we're talking about above average fastball and slider, a plus change up with plus control. You know, so even if he goes to double A, I think he's going to be very, very good right away. Uh, and that's why I picked him. I both love and hate your pick, Jonathan, if that's possible. I, I think everything you said, the reasons for picking him are good. But I also think the Reds need pitching so badly. He may end up in the big leagues. I think he's going to be in the big leagues before the All-Star break. Um, I, I actually talked to people not in the Reds organization last year when they were fighting for the playoffs, said, because Reds, so I think he was the most polished pitcher in last year's draft, so polished, and they were so desperate for starters last year that they should have called him up and used him in the rotation because they were, they were like one phone call away from using Yumi and Jason in the rotation by the end of the year. Um, so anyway, I, I do, I do like the pick, but I also think he could be up before the all-star break. I, I, I'm going to take, I, I think this guy was runner up for the award. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to take the, mistaken. you're going to take the guy Snelling? who should have won this year. Yeah. So you, you were a Robbie wow. Snelling back. Strong words. Wow. So yeah, I'm going to go with Robbie Snelling. Now, now I do think <laughs> that said, you know, like age is on my side a little bit on this one because he just turned 20 you know, in mid December. So like, he's not that old, but then he's also so good that maybe he'll just revise his ETA, um, which we have on the website is 2026. We should probably should update that one. We will next year, but you know, Robbie Snelling last year had a, a 1.82 ERA, you know, got to double a by the end of the year. He's got, you know, what's not to like about this guy. I mean, I guess we could refine his changeup a little bit, but like it's quality fastball that nobody hits. It's quality curveball. It's one of the better breaking balls in the minor leagues. The changeup's coming along fine. He throws a ton of strikes. He's left-handed. Tremendous mound presence. It's like this guy was a, a linebacker in high school, and he kind of pitches with that mentality. And so, you know, maybe he, you know, look, the Potters need pitching. So maybe he forces his way up there. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to err on the side of youth and say that he spends – it's if he gets pick. up to the big leagues, it'll be more, you know, toward the very end of the year. And so I'll, I, I don't feel like it's a bold pick at all, but I'll pick the guy who could have won the award this year and, and pick him to win it next year. All right. Uh, very good. Let's uh, hit the draft. Now last year, you guys predicted the number one overall draft pick. Uh, Jonathan, you chose Wyatt Lankford who ended up going number four, Jim, you chose, Chase Dolander, who ended up going number nine. And I think if I think if we had made the prediction maybe even as, as little as a month later, maybe somebody would have gone with Skeens. I know that when we put out the top 100 list in December, there there was mention that, you know, this guy could be in the conversation for 1-1 overall yeah. if he comes out and performs. Maybe it would have been a little premature even a month later. But, uh, you know, you guys weren't far off on Skeens, I know. Well, we had it like I will say the good thing I feel good about schemes, Jason, is we like you knowledge we had him fourth on our list going into the year. So we were there was a clear big three, and that was Skeens, Cruz, Langford. But then we had we had Skeens four. So yeah, and what we we both picked SEC guys. We both picked SEC guys. So that was a good call. Yeah, I give you a few points for that. Um, now for this year, like last year, as clear as the top five was, the number one pick was not clear. Uh, even down, you know, down to the end. This year, there is no clear cut five top five, and there's certainly no clear cut number one. This, this, uh, I would imagine, is a, a pretty 
uh, difficult choice here, but you guys are going with numbers one and two on the list. And I think we could have gone either way in in terms of how we did the top 100 uh, between J.J. Weatherholt and Nick Kurz. And <clears throat> Kurtz. I took Weatherholt not just because he's now a friend of the podcast, but you know, I, I think his ability to do multiple things well and play up the middle. Let's say shortstop doesn't work, and, and there are enough scouts who think he'd probably end up back at second base. But I do think that he will play up the middle. It gives him a little more value. He's going to hit. There's enough juice in the bat. He can really run. I mean, he, he, he does have a pretty full toolbox, and... I, I just see that Cleveland, and I know Jim is going to talk about Cleveland's need for power in a, in a little bit, and I see that. So I, I think Nick Kurtz is certainly possible, but I just think whether Holt fits the kind of hitter they like, and he has he has impact. I don't think people you know people aren't worried about a, a lack of impact from him. So I, I think that it, it makes as as good a sense as anybody at this point. Yeah, and I went with Kurtz. I mean, Jonathan took the best pure hitter in the draft. I took the best power hitter in the draft. Kind of like Weatherhold, Kurtz is the best pure best power hitter in the draft, but he also has a lot of hitting ability too. He's just not an all or nothing slugger. I don't think there's any real weakness in the plate in him. You know, it is tough. You know, if you were taking a first baseman number one overall, the only college first baseman who was taken number one overall was Spencer Torkelson, and there was some thought that maybe Torkelson could play third, but realistically was a first baseman. And you look at the recent first baseman who've gone high, you know, Torkelson hasn't lived up to expectations yet. Andrew Vaughn, who went third overall, hasn't lived up to expectations yet. You certainly don't draft for need, especially at 1-1. But Nick Kurtz would fit what Cleveland needs so much. And J.J. Weatherholt is very talented, his Ravens fandom aside, we won't hold that again. Oh, I will hold it against him, but not too much um, that he revealed on, on last week's podcast. They have, I'm not saying he's not a better class of this player, but they have like a dozen players in that phylum of hit over power middle infielders. At some point, the Guardians need to branch out and get some other types of prospects. So I just think Nick Kurtz makes more sense for them at 1-1. As we look at it, we have, what, seven months to figure it out. But I think he makes a little more sense than J.J. Weatherholt. But I, I agree. I, I think you could put those guys in any order and you can make cases for both of them. And, and Jonathan's right. I mean, if you look at the Guardians' mold of player, it's J.J. Weatherholt. All right, we're talking predictions. We're looking back at the predictions that Jim and Jonathan made for 2023 uh, a year ago. And we're looking ahead to... Uh, 2024 four categories down four to go we're going to take a break and uh, get through the rest of them right after this on the mlb pipeline podcast welcome back to the mlb pipeline podcast a special holiday edition we're looking back at 2023 looking forward to 2024 via predictions we're, we're in the business of making predictions here jim and jonathan uh, and sam dykstra are anyway and um jim and, and jonathan uh, made eight different predictions for the 2023 season uh, just about one year ago. So we're talking about those and looking ahead to what they expect for 2024. So uh, we've gone through their rookie of the year picks, 
pipeline hitter and pitcher of the year picks and who they think will go number one overall in the 2024 draft. Now uh, let's do uh, who you think will be the number one prospect at the end of the year, at the end of 2024, who will be number one last year. And I mentioned this earlier, guys. Uh, So Jonathan picked Marcelo Meyer here, who is now number 11. Jim correctly predicted Jackson Holiday, who is now number one, which is somewhat interesting because <laughs> Jonathan predicted that. Uh, oh, wait a second! You did. You had the same picks. I thought they were. I, yeah, we did. Oh, I thought you flipped them. So yeah. okay, all right. We were all consistent. Right. Well, so it, it, that's why you thought these guys would end up. Uh, you thought they'd be the pipeline hitter of the year and would end up number one. And Jim, you were right. It was Holiday. Now looking ahead to next year, who's going to be the number one prospect at the end of twenty twenty four? Jonathan, who you got? I'm going to go with Ethan Salas. Uh, obviously kind of took the prospect world by storm and signed just last January. And uh, the Padres thought he was so advanced. They sent him, not only did he start in the U S but he went to full season ball and then he kept moving and he ended up in double a. Now I think this year we can sort of maybe pump the brakes a little bit. He doesn't turn 18 until June. Uh, so he's so far ahead of the curve. I, I, they could send him wherever they want, uh, even if they want to send him back to high A, where he only spent nine games before moving up to San Antonio for the very end of the year and the postseason. But uh, he's only played 66 games. So I, I think that you know they could kind of, like I said, pump the brakes a little bit, slow him down, let him start back in high A. Uh, but if they want to start him in double A, that's fine. It's, there's, there's not going to be any rush to get him to the big league. So I, I think that his combination of tools, his ability to catch, his youth, his off-the-charts makeup, uh, he's just going to keep getting better. Uh, we, we were aggressive and ran him up to number five in, in the re-rank, and I think that uh, he ends up uh, ascending to to number one and honestly given that there's a chance that the top four guys ahead of him right now let's say we just went with what we had <clears throat> with holiday at one churio two skeins three Cruz four there's a chance at some point next year that all those guys graduate and Salas just becomes number one by graduation but i think he's going to earn it when we uh when we re-rank so he's there at the end of the year I'm just going to stick with the same logic I had last year, and I'm going to go with, with Walker Jenkins, the guy who I picked as, as Pipeline Theater of the Year. I admire your consistency. I think he you know, I might as well go with the, the formula works until it stops working. But, like, I agree with everything. I mean, Salas is ranked ahead of him. Love Ethan Salas, too. I have a little trepidation. Like, like I'm trying to figure out how we're going to rank these guys. I do think there's a possibility that the Padres push Salas further than he needs to be. Like, I don't really see why the need was for him to be in double A at all last year. It wasn't like he tore up high A. And so I, I think there's a, a a possibility that he gets challenged a little too quickly or pushed a little too hard. And his overall, not that we're picking it based on numbers, but his overall numbers won't be as loud as Walker Jenkins. And like, if, if like Salas goes out, he'll be what, 17 next year, right? Yeah, he turns 18 in June. So it'll be 17, 18 for this year. If, if like Salas goes out and hits 
260 with 12 home runs. That's a, you know, and he's in high A or wherever. That's actually a great year for a guy who started the year at age 17. But I don't know that we're going to rank that guy as the number one prospect in baseball. So that's kind of why I went with Jenkins over Salas. Those, those were the two guys I looked at the most. And it's funny. I keep mentioning Walker Jenkins. You mentioned him earlier. and We don't really talk about Max Clark. But Max Clark's a super talented kid who could fly up these boards when everybody graduates, too. Yep. Okay. So that's the predictions for who will be the number one prospect at the end of the year. How about who will have the number one farm system at the end of the year? This one proved to be difficult for you guys last year. Jonathan took the Reds, who in our midseason ranking of the farm systems was number five. And Jim took the Guardians, who in our midseason rankings were number 15. So looking ahead to the end of this year, and this this one's really difficult, uh, having to try to factor in graduations, uh, you guys do know who who drafts where now, so that uh, could come into play. But who, who do you guys have for number one farm system at the end of twenty twenty four? Well, I think that the hardest part about this question is if you look at their midseason rankings, which I did to try to figure out and form my pick here. Almost all the organizations we ranked high have players. Most of their best prospects are going to graduate, so it's, it's tough from that standpoint. You can't just look at the midseason list because a lot of the guys aren't going to be there counting as prospects at the end of the season. I went with the Cubs because I think they're, they're, they're just, they have the potential. I was trying to eyeball it real quickly for the most top 100 prospects at the end of the year when guys have graduated, you know, Pete Armstrong is going to graduate this year. I think Kate Horton's going to graduate. I do think it's possible. You know, right now, Owen Casey, Kevin Alcantara, Ben Brown, Matt Shaw are all in the top 100 list that they all, could still qualify because they can't play six outfielders. Moises Biosteros is going to qualify. I think he could, he's going to be a top 100 guy by the end of the year. I think Jackson Ferris is going to be a top 100 guy by the end of the year. I think James Triantos is going to be a top 100 guy by the end of the year. They've got Jefferson Rojas, super young international signee, who they kind of fast-forwarded to single A last year, and he held his own. So I think they have a number of guys on the upswing, and we'll have – more top 100 prospects, at least as far as I can guess right now, at the end of the season than anyone else. I'm going to go with the Cubs. I'm going to double down, and I'm going to stick with the the Cincinnati Reds. They've had a lot of guys graduate, and they held steady at number five. And Noel V. Marte, who should be mentioned in conversations about National League Rookie of the Year potential, uh, will graduate. Some of this may hinge on whether Rhett Louder does graduate. I don't want to put it on one on one guy, but you're putting uh, a lot of pressure on Rhett, Jonathan. Yeah, putting a lot of pressure on Rhett Louder. I'm already, you know, naming him pitcher of the year. So clearly I believe he'll he'll still be a, a part of of the the farm system when when we rank farm systems uh you know at the at the end of the year or close to the end of the year. Uh but the it's a deep system also. I think there are guys who are gonna bounce back. Entering into my equation for keeping the Cincinnati Reds is the fact that because of the draft lottery, uh, they're picking number two overall. And adding that quality talent uh, will help offset some of those graduations. Uh, They've got a competitive balance round B pick, so they have three picks in the top 75. They'll have a pretty good uh, bonus pool to work with. 
So they may be able to get, you know, aggressive with some high school, uh, some high school pitching maybe, you know, and with some of those subsequent picks after picking number two overall. Uh, so where they, where they landed in the draft definitely entered into my, into my calculations for picking them again. Okay. Next category, biggest riser among current top 100 prospects last year. I, I highlighted this one in green, and I, I don't know for sure that he was the highest riser, uh, but Jackson Merrill went from number 83 all the way to he's currently number nine. Highlighted that in green. Jonathan, do you know why I highlighted Gavin Cross in red? Because that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that indicates that it was maybe the, the worst prediction of all of these wow. is what the red indicates. I, I didn't put the key Rough. on there, but. No, I mean, you, you hit Gavin Cross, who was number 72 at the time. Not only did he not move up more than anyone, he uh, fell off the list. And in addition to that, he fell he fell on the Royals list from one to six. And that's uh, not a deep list either. I thought we were that's focusing on our predictions for 2024. Let's move on. <laughs> that's right. Looking ahead, who do you guys have for 2024? Jonathan, who are you going to redeem yourself with here? Uh, I'm going with Aiden Miller. Uh, who is currently number 90 on the list. The Phillies may have gotten one of the steals of the first round, at least, of the 2023 draft by getting Miller close to the end, number 27 overall. He had a, a broken hemate, so he missed most of his senior year. I think that he he may have been a, a top 10 pick, definitely a top half of the first round pick. Uh, he can really, really hit. He, he can play third base. He had a strong debut, you know, after a lot of time off, you know, made it to, to full season ball after just uh, completely raking in the uh, Florida Complex League. It's a small sample size. He played a total of 20 games. But I think that he's going to hit the ground running. He's going to hit for average and a ton of power. Uh, I think he probably ends up playing across multiple levels. Um, you know, maybe if he starts in Clearwater and ends in, in Jersey City, you know, goes uh, – a Jersey Shore, rather, sorry, across two levels of A-ball in the Philly system. So I think he's one of these high school bats who should have gone higher in the draft and is was a little under the radar because of the injury, and uh, people are going to realize just how good he is with a, a full season of at-bats and pro ball in 2024. No, I, I like that pick because I, I was with you, Jonathan. I was mystified he lasted as long as he did, and I – Everything you said, I agree with. I, I went with another guy from the draft who can really hit. I went with Matt Shaw, who was another guy from your neck of the 2023 draft. Uh, Cubs took him 13th overall. He was considered one of the best hitters in the in the college ranks in last year's draft. Was one of the best hitters in the draft in pro ball. He hit 357. Spent most of his time in Double A. Had an ops over a thousand. A little bit of a risk with him is that I think he could hit his way into the Cubs lineup by midseason, in which case he'll be off the list. They are crowded in the middle infield, obviously Nico Horner and Dansby Swanson. I, I think he could, I, th I think he could wind up at third base. He could push Nico to third and play second. Um, so that's really my only real concern with Matt Shaw is that he graduates. Like he, he, he soars up the list and then he graduates. So if, if that's the case, uh, I'll expect like some special dispensation when Jason's grading our exams next year, if he rose and then graduated, but um, 
Yeah, I, I, I think this category. No too, special dispensation. What are you talking about? Well, what if he rises to like number eight on the list? But then I like graduates. how you didn't bring that up when when talking about how Rhett Louder might graduate and how that may not have been a great pick. But I well, said so you I'm get special he, dispensation. He's not going to be pitcher of the year if he spends half the year in the big leagues. I should get special dispensation. I didn't well, know that no, was he a won't thing. be pitcher. I'm saying what if I'm saying Matt Shaw is going to rise to like number fifteen potentially and then graduate to the big leagues. He still will have risen. Your guy won't be pitcher of the year. Red Louder won't be pitcher of the year, but Matt Shaw will have risen. So we'll see. This double standard has to stop. Sure. <laughs> anyway, I would say that I do think picking guys from the draft is always like a a good demographic for this. Quite even though, yeah. I mean, you you took Evan Cross last year. I took Merrill was not from the draft, but it's just because those guys we tend to be a little conservative with unless they're the top of the draft guys, and then. The guys that come out and live up to expectations tend to fly up the list. Okay, so those are the predicted biggest risers who are currently on the top 100 prospects list. The last uh, category here is who will be uh, the biggest riser among players who are not on the top 100 prospects list, or as we uh, framed the question a couple of years ago, who will be this year's Jackson Churio, who exploded onto the scene in 22, and I guess we can say who will be this year's Junior Caminero. Uh, who did it last year. Last year, you guys chose Jonathan Samuel Basayo, pretty good, ended up number 46 on the list. Jim picked Christian Vaccaro of the Nationals, who is not on the top 100 list and I believe actually dropped from top five somewhere down to nine, or maybe seven to nine, uh, but n- did not have the upward mobility that uh, Jim predicted. Uh, looking ahead to 2024, Jim's not even pretending to just give us one name. He's actually listing three on the on the. I've been so good the whole podcast that <laughs> you, you knew that was going to happen. But all right, <laughs> get him out of the way, Jim. All three. Okay, well, like he has I to pick one. one. This is ridiculous. Yeah, well, you do have well, I'm not the callous double standard, man. No, come on. Just no, say one I, pick, I, one prediction. I, I have my official pick. I'm, I'm going I'm to give you who the candidates were, but I always look at this question as like the guy who hadn't really played much, if at all, behind, beyond rookie ball, and then blows up. So I don't look at it like, for, for a guy who's not on the list, who's going to make a jump, like we, we, James Trantos, we've talked about, was great in the AFL, but I'm not picking, I'm looking for like the guy who nobody's really talking about at all. And so Miguel Blaise, possibly with the Red Sox, so he played in A-ball last year before he got hurt. I just threw out Jason Churio, who's in the Guardian system because of Jackson Churio. But like, no, my my official pick, I'm not, I'm not picking five guys. I'm going to take credit if any of them hit. My official pick is, is Roderick Arias of the Yankees, who was one of the top. I want to say, was he our top international prospect on Jesse Sanchez's 2022 list? I think that's right. I think that's right. Signed for $4 million. He's had some minor injuries his first couple of years, so he hasn't played full seasons in rookie ball. But, I mean, it's he's as tooled up as – we thought he was going to be. I mean, he's got a chance to hit for power, hit for average, solid to plus runner, cannon arm, stay at shortstop, was very good last year in the, I keep wanting to call it the Gulf Coast League. It's the Florida Complex League now. Hit 270, six homers in 27 games before he had an injury that won't affect him long term. I think he's going to be really, really good. It was a broken thumb last year. I was, I was searching for there. So I'm going to say Roderick Arias, I think, is going to show this year 
why he was the top-ranked prospect by us in the 2022 international class. And he won't turn 20 until pretty much the season's done. I'm also picking someone from the 2022 international signing class. Uh, he was uh, ranked in the top 10 and signed for $2.5 million with the Mariners. That's uh, Lazaro Montez, who I think one of the things that's interesting when we're trying to figure this out is Ethan Salas aside, we, we tend to sort of pause. We don't know even a guy who's really highly ranked on an international list, they're so young when they sign. We don't know what the transition is going to be like. We don't know what the transition from the Dominican Summer League, if they start there, to the United States is going to be. And what, But what Montes has done has certainly raised my interest. He hit well. He had a, an OPS over 1,000 in the Dominican Summer League after signing. Then he came stateside, and not only did he hit really well in the Arizona Complex League, but he got moved up to full season ball and hit better in, in many instances there. The, the strikeout rate was a little bit of a concern out of the gate. He's already improved that. He draws walks. Uh, he's big. He's left-handed. Uh, there's a ton of power. Uh, so I think he's number 12. He was number 12 on the Mariners list at, at the end of the season. I think, you know, there was some concern that maybe he'd end up at first base, but he's going to stay in the outfield. He hits the ball really, really hard. Uh, the comp that has been made unfairly has been to Jordan Alvarez, but it's that kind of profile. So if he gets bigger, maybe he ends up at first base, but the bat is going to play. And that's why I think he's going to be the, he's going to hit his way up this list in 2024. And Jim, you, you were correct that Roderick Arias was number one on that list. One spot ahead of your pick from last year, by the way, Christian Picaro. All right. I'm just going to keep looking at this until I get one of them there. <laughs> All right, we have uh, we have one prediction left to be made, uh, and it comes from a mailback question. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll answer that right after this on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Rappaport, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and we have a question here from Blah Blah. Twitter handle Blah Blah nine two three four five two five two four asks this question. It is uh, prediction-based, so we thought this would fit nicely. Who is this year's draft Jackson Holiday, a player who is late first, second-round talent during the winter, but then has a meteoric rise in 2024? All right, guys. I mean, obviously, if you expected this to happen with anyone, you'd probably have them ranked higher at this point. But does anyone fit this bill? Is there someone that you guys have ranked in the 20s, 30s, 40s that – you think has that potential where was holiday what was holiday ranked in the december in the first edition of that top draft prospects list you guys remember it seems like it was in that range he was in the 40s or 50s yeah. okay i'm looking it up i will i will vamp for a second while we uh <laughs> while we answer this question but no it like what happened with Holiday was on the showcase circuit, it was the classic trying to do too much. And he was, you know, he didn't have a great showcase circuit and he wasn't as physically developed as he became. Like when he came out the spring, like it became apparent, like right away, like, man, he's bigger, faster, stronger. He was number 51 on our preseason 100. Wow. But like, I, that's like, there's some you, rankings you feel bad about, like, oh, we, we missed on that guy. And no, but I mean, people were saying he's a second round pick. There was some thought he's a little overhyped because of the name. He didn't have a good summer. 
but he got bigger, faster, stronger. He's like the six million dollar man uh, for the the old among us. Uh, remember that show? He got bigger, faster, stronger in the spring, and just much better at the plate and rocket up lists. I don't think there's a guy who's going to rocket up into the t- like be the number one pick consideration. But if I, I had to pick a pick to click, it would be I, I will stick with uh, the Stillwater area of Oklahoma and go with Carson Benge of Oklahoma State. Two-way guy there, wound up blowing out his elbow right before his freshman season in February 2022. Had Tommy John surgery, missed the whole year. And came back last year. He's got – he might have the best combination of back-to-ball skills and high exit velocities of anybody in the college class. He does not swing and miss, uses the whole field, hits the ball extremely hard. He hit just seven home runs as a redshirt freshman. But I think if he makes some adjustments and starts driving the ball in the air more, he's going to hit a ton of home runs. And if he winds up being a a plus, or if you love him even well above average hitter with plus power, and he's a pretty good athlete, fits a right field profile, and he'd probably be a third-round pick as a pitcher, I think we have him ranked 26th right now. I could see him jumping up into that upper echelon of college hitters that we were talking about when we went over the draft list last week. And I think he could be potentially top five pick. He's got all the underlying metrics are there that this guy's going to break out. So I think it's Carson bench for me. No, that's a good one. There isn't a guy like, like holiday. I mean, cause even, you know, we ranked them that low, but with a sort of asterisk, like this is a guy who could very easily, not, not that we knew he was going to jump to number one, but that wasn't tough to predict. We had a feeling that that, was going to be reset. And I don't see anyone that low that jumps out to me. I think the one guy, maybe I'm sort of cheating a little bit because he's 19 on the list right now, but that's Cam Caminiti, the lefty from Arizona. He reclassified. So he's one of the youngest guys uh, on the list. And um, if you don't like the pick, say something, man, I'll pick somebody else if it really matters to you. But, you know, uh, since you, you've, your double standard always works to your benefit. I'm sticking with Cam wow. Kennedy. You called and yourself a cheater. I, I I didn't call you a cheater. You Jim called was just quoting you. Yeah, I'm gonna. I have receipts. For those confused, yeah, Jim, was, Jim was silently heckling um, Jonathan via. Sorry, via Slack. it was heckling me, and I will not have it. I I just think he has a chance to have four above average pitches when all is said and done. He's super young. He's really athletic. He's left handed. I think that he comes out in Arizona this spring and throws really well. You're going to start seeing his name. He, he could he could interrupt all those college bats uh, in in the top ten. I could see him easily being a top ten pick. So that is who I'm going with, much to the chagrin of Jim <laughs> Double it was, your, it was your own chagrin. I was just piling on you, on you, you piling on yourself. All so. right. Well. Uh-huh. Uh, Blah, blah. Thank you for that question, despite the fact that now we've got to separate Jim and Jonathan here. Um, great question. Uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline Podcast, a special holiday edition predictions. Thanks to everybody for joining us. Uh, I predict that you're all going to have a, a great holiday, rest of the holiday season and a great 2024. Same for you, Jim and Jonathan. Happy holidays to you guys. Uh, we'll talk to everybody. Next week, Jonathan, you got something? 
No, I was just going to wish you a happy holiday season as well, Jason. That's all. Thank you. And uh, Jim, I anxiously await your uh, happy your annual holiday card. That's going to do it for this week's. Hopefully, we'll have it. <laughs> That's going to do it for this. Sorry, you just cut that. You're going to have it before this podcast runs, so you're going to have to. We're, we're going off with a bang here. Let them finish. That's a wrap for this week's MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next year.